All right, today um, on the podcast, I have a good friend of mine, um, Adam Brust, who um, is an old friend of mine. We actually became friends, um, boy, how old were we, Adam? I mean, we, it was elementary school. This is like fourth grade or something like that, right? You know, I think I think you and I were in Mrs. McDonald's class, and right? Weren't you in her class? Well, I actually had her twice. I had her for third and fifth grade. <laughs> okay, so so I I was I was still in Claremont, I think, in third grade. So we we came to Tirasana, and I was in Mr. Old's class in fourth grade, and then you and I got to be good buddies, I think, in Mrs. McDonald's fifth grade class. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I go way back, and um, our friendship wasn't really based around Christianity, but both of us, um, we both came to Christ and have been, you know, walking with him now for quite a while. But I've been really encouraged to hear, you know, and to see you in your walk with the Lord. And I'm glad that we've kept in touch all these years. And, um, well, Adam, I want to start with this. Why don't you just talk for a little bit, share with us, you know, sort of how did you come to know Christ and walk with him initially? Um, well, you, your influence was pretty major in my life. Um, my, uh, my mom was a pretty devout Catholic and she, um, she went to the university of San Diego, which is a Catholic school. And she had some, some pretty intense encounters with the Lord there. And she did her best to raise me and my two brothers in the Catholic church. Um, but I just never really connected with anything, with anything there. It was just a lot of, uh, you know, to me, it was a lot of empty form and ritual. And I didn't really experience the power of God. I certainly experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, through catechism and con- the confession with the priest and all that stuff. But there was really no relationship with the Lord other than I just felt like I was a bad person all the time. And then, um, you know, you and I started to develop a friendship. And um, I-, I just I, I remember significantly asking you what you were doing on a Friday night and you explained to me that you go to church on for on Fridays. And I believe I, I invited myself along and um, I had an incredible encounter uh, during worship at uh, the Korean Calvary church that you used to attend over on Linda Vista road. Um, and that really had an impact on my life. I really felt like I had an encounter with the presence of God, with the, with the person of God, and um, the encounter that I experienced was, you know, he was just very merciful and forgiving and loving and kind and wanted, um, you know, wanted to get some things in my life straightened out. And uh, that's where, where my walk with the Lord began was, was directly through your influence and, and at that church that you, you were attending with your family. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that, man. Yeah. I didn't even, like, how, about how old were, you, were we at that point? Um, fifth grade, 10, 11, probably oh, wow. Some, That's amazing. something like that. Yeah. Okay. I think if you remember, um, uh, Cormac O'Rourke, I think he was attending too for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, the four of us, me, Cormac, you and Mark, I think we're all in some capacity involved at that church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome, man. And so I remember, you know, we were friends and then, if I remember correctly, you went to another high school, and I kind of and I didn't see you um, that much. I would say from there, and then I went to college at Berkeley, and so I was gone for a while. But then I moved back down to um, San Diego, 
and I remember I, we reconnected a little bit. You actually invited me to um, your old church, and um, I, I I still remember um, visiting, and yeah, I I was a little weirded out by your pastor, man. Um, I only was there for one service. I don't know if you remember if you remember that. But, I do. We sat on the front row. I took yes. you, you, you came and believe it or not, uh, uh, your younger brother, Dustin came as well on a separate, I think two, actually, I think he came twice on two separate occasions for, no for, um, two guest speakers. I think I, I, I may be remembering that incorrectly. It was at least one time, but I'm pretty sure he tagged along too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I, I do remember feeling like, okay, you know, this is going to be my memory. I don't, this was like what, 20 years ago, 15 years ago at least i don't know something like that. it, right? it had it had to be um some somewhere around yeah more than a decade ago for sure yeah so this is my memory of that event i remember and you know for the sake of this podcast we kind of agreed our goal here is we're not trying to bash um any particular person or anything so we're gonna leave names out of this but i remember um during the worship set the worship leader kept looking at me <laughs> you know and it was weird like like he's leading worship but there were a number of times where he was just staring right at me and i was like okay that's weird this worship was a little weird and then the worship ended and then he took the mic off of the thing and he started speaking and it turns out like he's the he's the pastor he's speaking and during the message same thing. He keeps looking like right at me and I'm sitting in like the front row and um, I just had the sense that he was like, I don't know, trying to get me to agree with him or something. You know, it just felt, it felt like controlling as I was at this church and I still remember that, you know, 15 years later and afterwards he actually prayed for me and um and it was the same thing <laughs> during the prayer. He kept he like, you know, most people when they pray for you, they close their eyes or something like that. But he was like looking right at me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I remember being like, okay, this is really strange. Like, why is he looking at me like this? And it wasn't that he was doing anything, you know, I don't remember him teaching anything super crazy or anything at that time. But I just got like weird vibes from him pretty often. And so, I, and it was just one service. So that's, that's not normal, but yeah, that's my short experience with your with your church. Now you went to this church for twenty years, eighteen years. <laughs> eighteen. Holy cow! And um, you know, in and I have been walking with you. You've recently decided to leave that church. You left a little while ago. Why don't you talk to us a little bit? You know, why did you decide to leave the church where you're at for eighteen years? <laughs> Um, well, to be very direct with you, um, I, I tried to leave, I was very naive. I tried to leave about five years into, into my experience there, um, and was told, was told directly from the leadership, you know, don't, don't go, you don't want to leave this church. There's no reason to. And if you do, then there's going to be some issues that follow you around. And at this point in my life, um, I was very young and uh, misguided and, and looking for looking for some stability. And I believed that I had found it in the leadership at this church. And why I left uh, 18 years later um, was because it took me 18 years to realize that there was a lot of gaslighting going on 
There was a lot of manipulation going on. Um, there was a, an extreme lack of transparency and the, um, I guess what the, the, the last draw, the last straw, um, happened when uh, I was during a Sunday night service and, um, one of the associate pastors, um, was given the mic, um, the, the, um, the main pastor, um, recognized, I guess the anointing or what, you know, something that was on this, this young lady and handed her the mic and, and she got up and she just proceeded to yell at the entire congregation. Um, you know, asking the, the congregation about, you know, if they, if they understand, if they're aware of the extent of God's grace and goodness and, and then asking that question, um, she asked it in a rhetorical way. And then she answered it. And the way that she answered it was by screaming into the microphone. I don't think that you do with an, with just absolute intensity. And, you know, um, a lot of, there's a lot of condemnation behind that. You know, you don't get it and you're not going to get it. And I get it, but you don't get it and you won't get it. And that was, it was at that point that it kind of hit me. I was like, I have been in this circumstance, in this situation so many times, and there's no way to win. There's no way to, to feel peace. There's no way to, um, to feel encouraged or strengthened. It felt in that moment, like somebody had taken a, a very sharp, hot knife and plunged it right into my guts. I was so grieved and so overwhelmed and, and, um, I had just decided, you know what, that was the end of the struggle because it was, it was a struggle, a constant struggle trying to figure out how to live my life so that the leadership at this church, um, was content and happy. And I put that above having peace with the Lord. I put their um, acceptance of me and their thinking of me and their opinion of me above the Lord's. And it took me that long to realize, unfortunately, that that was the circumstance that I had, I had found myself in. And when I realized that, um, I took a serious inventory of what had happened for these 18 years, what kind of fruit was in my life and what kind of fruit was in the church. And the first thing that my attention was drawn to was the fact that the church for 18 years shrank. It never really got any bigger. I mean, there was, there would be times where we would see an increase, but then there would be the turnover. There would be a turnover right immediately. The same, the, the people that we had just seen come in would go just as fast as they had, had, they had come in. And then people that had notable gifts and callings in their lives were worked out of the ministry. People that had strong capabilities and skills when it came to leadership and guidance, they were pushed out. And um, again, you know, transparency, there wasn't, there wasn't, there was, there wasn't a lot of information given as to why those people were no longer attending. And, and then what was said about those people was a warning. If you spend time with them, if you engage them, uh, you, you know, be careful. They're, they're icky unrighteousness because they're unrighteous. They weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't sent out from us correctly. So they're not of us. So you got to be careful and watch out for those people. Um, there was a lot of that. And ultimately where I, I got, finally got peace was I was lying on my bed and I was listening to 
to, um, to a sermon from another pastor. And I believe the Lord showed me, um, showed me where I was at. And, and we all know John 15, um, I'm the branch, you're the vine. If you're not in me, you're going to have some issues. And if you are in me and you're bearing, bearing, you're, you're, you're producing some evidence that you are in me, uh, I'm going to prune you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to guide you so that you can do more. And the Lord just showed me, look, you're in me. Here's me. Showed me, showed me the branch, showed me me coming out of him. You're in me, showed me a lot of amazing evidence that this being under this ministry had produced in my life. But he made it very clear to me by coming in with some very sharp shears and trimming all of the fruit that had come into my life from this ministry clean off of off of me, off of the branch. And so I felt like, okay, I, there is a there is a distinct transition that I am being shown that it's okay, it's okay to make now. Yeah. And um, when I what what was such the difficulty was I had so much fear and so much influence in my mind and in my heart from the leadership there from trying to leave five years in and then trying to leave a couple years later and then trying to leave again, but being convinced and told and scared into staying. And, um, it's really, it was, it was really unfortunate, but, um, nevertheless, you know, God, God uses all of those things for our good. Yeah. Well, Adam, I just want to say, you know, again, thanks for talking about it. I know that, um, look, I, I've, you know, I spoke with you, you know, a couple times as you were thinking about this process of, you know, of leaving. And I, look, from my perspective, it, it does, it seemed like a type of spiritual abuse. And, um, you know, when I talk to you, I know that it's it's not easy still, even though you've had some time now, and I know you've gotten a, a, a lot of healing already, um, but I, I know it's not, it's still not easy to talk about. And, and I say this because I've had experiences of this sort before personally, and it took me a while to heal. And, um, and I know lots of other people that have had somewhat similar experiences. Now, they're all going to be a little bit different, but there are similarities in this type of controlling behavior that we see in some churches and some leaders. And it is a type, it is abusive, right? It is abusive. Um, you know, it's the... It's the same thing when you have um, a parent that is abusing a child. The, the most damaging thing is the child wants their parent's affection, right? The, the child wants their parent's affection, wants their approval. They're craving it. And and it's, it's a very similar situation a lot of times because we as you know, spiritual believers, we want the affection and the affirmation and the approval of our spiritual leaders because we respect them and we love them, right? And um, I think that's a, a really interesting dynamic of all this because, you know, you and I have talked about it, and your old pastor, it's not like he was, you know, pure evil. He wasn't like Hitler, right? Like, there were commendable aspects Right of his character, there were good teachings. There were things that were helpful and life giving. The problem is, it also came with this aspect where, at least in in your case, it seemed like it seemed like he was impossible to please in a lot of ways. Right? It's like there's always the danger of him rebuking so, you harshly or something like that. Right. So to get so to give you an idea of what the environment was like. Um, in in this ministry in a service um you you there there was 
you had no idea if at some point during the meeting you were going to be publicly completely humiliated personal things about your life would be brought out um in front of the entire congregation the corporate body allowed on a microphone oh, wow. um and you know uh so you're you're constantly basically you know if i had to sum it up it it, it was like this so um for me i'm in a, i'm a very competitive person and when I started attending this church, I fell in love with Jesus. And of course, I wanted to tell everybody about him. And I did. And I started bringing people to church. And I started to notice that as I brought more people to church, as I performed, as I worked to get the attention that I desperately needed um, and craved, like just like you were saying, I would get that. And um, it, it became about that. It became about the attention and the praise and constantly trying to get more of that from leadership and there was a tremendous lack of connection between me and god the father the connection became me and the pastor me and the the leadership there was no you know the the connection that i had with the lord started to fizzle out and um right uh it's you know it's it's the like what you were saying as far as there wasn't you know it wasn't evil he there was a lot of good fruit in my life from this ministry the the problem where the disconnect was and where a lot of harm was done was there there was no transparency and then there was an extreme amount of desire to control anyone and everyone that comes through the door and what happened to me is over over time um i would wake up and i would be wringing my hands because i have all these decisions in front of me for my day and i'm I'm worried that I'm not going to make the right decision based on how the pastor is going to view me. And so my entire life became consumed with why well, I, I better, you know, I, I better ask for permission for this. I better find out if it's okay if I do that. I better, um, <clears throat> I better consult the, the leadership with this decision, with every single decision. It just, it just got to be too much. And thank God, you know, he, the, the, you know, the Lord was working with me through this entire situation and, and he's he's brought me out of it he's delivered me from it thank god yeah yeah man well i i've like i said i've been through something similar um it probably wasn't quite as damaging or as painful as, as what you went through um but i was in a situation where um you know i was at a church where the you know the the pastor was preaching um a type of theology that said that you have to have a spiritual father Right, like you have to have a spiritual father. If you don't have one, you're out of order. That was the language that he would use. Very and, similar to what I experienced. Very, very, very similar. Yeah. So he would say that you're out of order, and um, you know, I don't remember if he explicitly said this, but I I remember being strongly implied that if you're out of order, then you're open to all sorts of spiritual attack right? Like all these curses can come upon you. Like you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and the implication of all this was, okay. And I am your spiritual father, right? Mm. That's the implication, right? And I am your spiritual father. So you need me to be that covering for you. And, um, you know, after sitting under this, first of all, as I was listening, I was a lot of it, did not seem biblically right, right? We have some passages where 
you know, Paul talks about Timothy as a spiritual son, right? Him as a father. So we do see that there is this dynamic involved. But all the other Philemon. stuff that was coming, yeah, all this other stuff that was coming along with this, I was mm-hmm. like, where do we see this in the scriptures, right? And it didn't seem like we did see it. Like, I, I looked, I was like, okay, where do we see all this other stuff? Where does it say if you don't have a spiritual father, you're cursed, right? Or like, you know, where does it say that Jesus' blood or Jesus' fathering, in fact, it says the opposite, right? It says, don't call anyone father, right? Because you have one father, right? And it, it, and so I didn't, it didn't feel like these teachings really match up with Scripture, but yet at the same time, there was enough here, and I had enough respect for the pastor because I did see good fruit. I did see real maturity in different areas, and so there was enough there that just made me question. And to be honest, what started to happen over time is I started to become very fearful that because I disagreed in different areas, oh, maybe that was a sign that I'm being rebellious. And mm. there seemed to be this heavy implication that, yes, if I if I disagree with where he wants to take things or if I disagree with any of these teachings, well, all of that is a sign of a rebellious spirit, like that that was the implication of a lot of this. And to be honest, I can't remember if he was explicitly saying that kind of stuff, right? Like, I don't remember all the the sermons and stuff like that, but I do remember that I felt like this fear of being rebellious. And I and I was wrestling with the Lord like, God, am I being rebellious because I disagree about some of this stuff? Is this just a rebellious spirit in me that is not getting, you know, and, and am, I, am I missing out on having a great spiritual father and all this kind of stuff? Like, these fears started to to spring up and you know just to share a little bit more how this turned out for me um what i eventually decided at this time in my life is like you know what i don't want to be rebellious so i am going to i'm going to submit under this i'm going to serve him as best as i can and um something really interesting happened when i did that i was on staff at that church when i did that all the grace for ministry just left my life. Like my passion mm. for ministry, everything, it just evaporated. And it was really weird. I had never experienced something like that. So I didn't know what to make of it. I was just like, okay, but I'm trying to do what the Lord, I'm humbling myself. I'm taking the posture of a servant, but I don't want to do ministry anymore. And yeah. I, I went into like a tailspin where like, I, I didn't want to do ministry, but I couldn't hear from the Lord if I should leave. And anyways, I ended up serving there for a year, but I was praying every single day, Lord, if 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 it's your will, let me leave. Let me get out of here, right? Let me yeah. just take a break. And for a year, I prayed that, and I was ministering. At that time, I was on staff at two different churches. I was leading worship like four or five times a week. I was speaking like multiple times a week. I was doing so much ministry, but I had no passion for ministry. I had no like desire. I just felt miserable, but I was just trying to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. So anyways, fast forward a year, I go to this conference and, um, well, I, I, I should, I should clarify. Actually, what happens is one of my leaders, um, he ran into this guy on an airplane is actually a, a, a woman. And he had this, he started this conversation with this woman on an airplane. Turns out she is a minister and her husband is a minister. And he, he's in this conversation with the woman and he's like, he feels like the Lord says, you need Dennis to meet this guy. And so he comes back and he says, hey, Dennis, I just feel like the Lord's telling me that um, 
you got to meet this guy that I, I met his wife on the plane. I'm starting to get a relationship with them. And I just feel like it's really important. And so I was like, okay, sure. So I, I met up with him and, and he was amazing. The first time I met with this guy, um, this is um, somebody I now consider a, a mentor of mine. Um, he said, Dennis, I want you to know, I love you. I'm totally devoted to you. If there's anything I can do to you, do for you, I want to help you. I just want to say I'm for you. And, I remember just feeling like, well, you don't even know me. <laughs> like, you don't know me. And but he's telling me the whole time, like, no, I'm for you, and and uh, I'm I'm gonna help you. And there's no strings attached. You don't have to do anything. Like, I just want to help you in any way that I can. And the the feeling of it was so different from what I was under at the time, because the the spiritual fathering that I was being taught was like it comes with all these strings attached, right? It's like you get all that if, right? You do everything that we, I tell you to do. And you don't listen to any other people because I'm your spiritual father and you listen to my teachings and all this kind of stuff. And here was this other guy who's saying, hey, there's no strings attached. I just want to help you if there's any way that I can. And if not, don't worry. Like, But just so you know, I'm here. And I started building a relationship with this guy. I go to his conference. His name is um, Larry Titus. And um, I, go to, I go to his conference. While I'm there, the Lord speaks to me. He says, leave, leave ministry, take a, take a sabbatical go to seminary and move and move to Texas. And so I did that. I moved to Texas. I took a I took a year-long sabbatical and I got healing. That whole year, the Lord just said, "Forgive everyone who wronged you and give thanks for everything." <laughs> right? So, I, that's all I did that year. I just gave thanks for everything. Lord, thank you. Like, you know, I, I felt like a failure in ministry. I felt like I'd failed my ministry. I felt like I was in spiritual Siberia because I was in Texas. Nobody knew me in Texas. I had no connections, but I was just with my family. I was able to study theology. And so it was actually, it, you know, it started off with me. The, I remember being so afraid, God, I failed. I'm a failure. I, I, I messed everything up that you called me to do. And then halfway through that year, I was like, this is so great. Like, I get to spend all the time with my family. I don't have to worry about doing ministry stuff. Right? The Lord loves me. Right? And I was just getting healed, you know? And so I say yeah. all that to say, I had to go through a year of healing, dude. I had to go through yeah. a year of healing, and I tell people that, um, you know, there was a period of my life around then and before where I had to forgive that spiritual leader and another person. I had to forgive them every single day for probably over right. a year, just forgive them over and over and over again because I refused to keep the hurt in my heart, and I knew it was hurt, but I didn't know why. I didn't have clarity on why all these, you know, all this stuff had happened to me. Eventually... The Lord gave me understanding. And what I realized was this. I had I had laid down what God had told me to do. Because God had actually given me vision for the ministry where I was at. He had told me what he wanted me to do. I was one of the, the co-founders of that ministry. And I had the burden of the Lord in my heart. But because this other leader who I was now under was telling me, hey, you need to lay all that down and embrace me as your spiritual father and take my my right. authority and all this kind of stuff and i had listened to him i had i had obeyed yeah. him but in so doing i had betrayed what the lord had called me to do and mm -hmm. that's why all the grace for ministry just left my life but i'd never experienced anything like that before and so mm -hmm. that was such a huge lesson for me going through that and understanding that there are times where i have to defy people there are times where i have to say no Right. There are times where it like and the, it's a manipulative tactic. It, it, right. Because he's telling me if you don't do this, 
you know, the implication was you're rebellious and all this kind of stuff. And what I should have done, if I had had, you know, the wisdom and the maturity at that time, what I should have done, I should have said, no, God has called me to do this and I'm going to be faithful to it. And guess what? I'm going to love you, but I don't have to buy your whole package of teaching on spiritual sonship and authority and all that kind of stuff. I knew there were biblical errors in it, and but I was so I was intimidated and I wanted his affection and I wanted his affirmation and all of that kind of stuff. And to be super clear, okay? This guy, he's a he's a good pastor, all right? He's not an evil person. All right? He's a good pastor. I just think that this teaching, this line of teaching was a type of manipulation that really damaged me in that season, okay? And again, I'm not trying to pick on him. I know you're not trying to pick on your old pastor. We're not saying they're super evil people, but we are saying that there is a weakness here that is very damaging to lots of people and that you were damaged by it, I was damaged by it. And I've seen lots of people over the years damaged by aspects of this type of controlling leadership. And look, as a leader myself, in humility, I have to say, I'm not immune from the temptation to be controlling, right? Like, look, it hurts. Like, if you're a pastor of a ministry and somebody comes to you and be like, you know, I don't feel like I'm growing here or I don't feel like I want to be here. I want to be at that ministry. I want to be under that pastor. It hurts a little bit as a spiritual leader, right? It feels like a, a personal rejection. So I understand that it's not easy being a pastor. And I've seen lots of pastors over the years where they don't it they don't understand that their own personal hurt is infusing with like the hey is it wise for you to leave though <laughs> right like because there are circumstances where it's unwise for somebody to leave a church right if they get offended then it's better to try and work out your offense reconcile all of that than it is to just take off right we all know people that you know as soon as they get hurt or offended anywhere, they just take off and they're just floating at a million different churches. And obviously I think there there is an appropriate place for a pastor to say, hey, maybe you should not leave yet. Why don't we pray through this? Why don't we talk this and see if we can heal something? So sometimes there is an appropriate place for a pastor to say, hey, I, do, I can't bless you in leaving, right? But it's also true that many leaders because they're hurt, because they're afraid of failure, because they're afraid of people leaving for, for a number of different things, they exert a type of manipulation and pressure on people not to leave, right? And, and once you start down that way, you, you have to ramp it up. And it, sometimes it, it grows and it gets really bad. And when I listened, you know, when I was counseling you as you were talking about all the stuff that you had been through at your church, I kept thinking, oh, wow, this has gotten really bad. Right? I bet your pastor was a lot healthier 10 years ago, right? But look, I, I told you, because you said that what he was saying is if, if the people, if you leave the church, you're probably not saved. And that, to me, that's the red line. Well, what, what I feel like happened um, is that they used my salvation as a ransom to get me to conform and to attend every meeting. So to, to them at this, this particular um, ministry, if you, and this was said um, corporately, not on one occasion, but on multiple occasions. And it was said to me directly when um, I just went to inquire about, you know, um, I, so I'm an athlete. 
I'm a, I'm a big athlete. And part of being an athlete is you play on a team or if you do an individual sport, you know, you're looking, you're looking for blind spots and um, you're looking for ways that you can constantly improve. So, you know, one thing athletes do is they take a personal inventory on where they're at. And then another thing that they do is they, they ask, Hey, what do you think? Can I improve here? Can I do this differently? Can I change? What can I do? And that's, that's a big part of my character. And so I would reach out, I reached out to this pastor, the lead pastor on one occasion. And, um, I had asked him, you know, what, what, how do you think that I'm doing? Where do you, where, how do you, how do you see me right now? And at this point in my life, um, to me, I was living a righteous, holy life. I didn't have, I wasn't breaking commandments. I didn't have any ungodliness or sin in my life. Uh, the one thing that I think that he pointed to was the fact that I wasn't in every Sunday service and Sunday service at this ministry would be 11 o'clock to sometimes as late as like three or 4 PM. And then 5 PM would start the Sunday meeting. And then that could go to 12 midnight or one. Sometimes it would get done at 10 or 11, but there was no time. There was no set time people's schedules and, and you know, th their lives and other things that they had going on wasn't really taken into consideration. Um, it was just, look, if you're not here in every single meeting, then you're probably going to go to hell. And if you don't like that, if you, if you don't like that, then you're the one that's demonic. You have the problem. You're the one that's rebellious. You're the one that has issues, not us. That and is crazy. Um, that is crazy. And, yeah. And, and you know, and that's the, that's the, that's the sad truth of it. So, so to, to, to continue to expand on this, because hopefully this will help somebody else that's listening, um, to describe, uh, to describe one, one situation that I found myself in a little bit further is at the end of a meeting, um, there was always, I always felt like there was, there was an issue with community in this ministry and I had brought it up many, many times. And what would happen is we would have uh, a weekday service, probably like Wednesday or Thursday night that would start at six. And who knows when that would end 12 o'clock, one o'clock, who knows? No, no time frame, no idea when that's going to end. Um, tough luck. If you have kids, elementary age kids, they need to be in the meeting until 12 o'clock. doesn't matter that they got three or four hours or five hours of sleep. doesn't matter if you got a test tomorrow, you got to, this is, this is the priority. Um, and I, I get it. Okay. All right. Um, so anyway, at the end of the meeting, the, the same young associate pastor gets up, is handed the microphone and she says, you know, to th this, this is, this is what was said. If you are spending time with people that are not attending this ministry and that are not in church every single Sunday, you're spending time with unbelievers. You're spending time with people that you need to get out of your life. You're spending time with people that are demonic. And you now are being put on blast. You're being notified right now that it is your responsibility to tell them directly that if they don't get in church every single meeting, then they're going to go to hell. And if they don't want to, if they don't want to be your friends after that, then you're better off. And um, <clears throat> at the end of that meeting, I reached out directly to the associate pastor and, you know, I, I explained, Hey, um, some of the people that I spend time with outside of church are your relatives. <laughs> they are your family members and yeah. they don't go to this church for one reason or another but I don't think that that should end the relationship. I think that that is a bad call. 
Yeah. And I was, I was told directly, well, you're wrong. You're, you know, wow. you're on the verge of being rebellious and demonic and wow. you know that you need to see things, you need to see things this way. Um, additionally there, I think what had happened was there was so much fear and worry about being seen, um, as pastoral leadership in any way, shape or form as vulnerable or as potentially, you know, have just being a human being and struggling with one thing or another as we go through life. If that was seen by any of the congregation, then that could potentially destroy the ministry. And there were, there, there were a few occasions where in one building or another, because this, this particular ministry would jump con- consistently from one building to another. Um, I would come around a corner and I would catch somebody in ministry just so broken and hurt and this expression on their face that they're wearing because they they think that nobody is around and nobody can see them is actually how they're feeling. Um, and then as soon as my presence would be known, I would catch a glimpse of this for maybe a minute or, you know, be praying with, should I, should I go over to them and ask them how they're doing? If I could pray for them. And then as soon as my presence would be made known, it was an Oscar winning performance, a transition from the worst, most miserable person you've ever, ex- you've ever seen with the most, you know, troubling expression on their face to the happiest, most content, most peaceful most knowledgeable person that you've ever experienced. And I, I saw that a couple of times and that was just, you know, another drop in the bucket of maybe you should consider getting out of here. And, um, you know, maybe there's some people that are listening to me and and thinking, gosh, you know, 18 years, what are you an idiot? I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but there's something to be said about that analogy where you, if you take, you take an animal in this particular analogy, it's a frog and you put it in a, in a, in a pot of water. Initially that frog is like, Hey, I'm safe and sound and I'm, I'm having a good time. And if you turn the heat up on your stove on that pot, it's going to be too late before the frog realizes that they're in trouble. And quite often in my experience, that's what happened with me. It was, it, it had gone on for so long in those ideas and that work of confusion and manipulation and control had taken, had taken root substantially in my heart and in my mind that to me leaving would be, would be a, would be damnation. So you can see like the struggle of, Hey, I, I, I know in my heart and in my mind, something is not right here, but to the remedy also doesn't seem right. And it, it really takes it. I can only speak for myself, but it really took me intensely searching for God's will and permission to make this transition. Yeah. And almost, almost like, you know, Lord, I need you to force your hand here. You know, I, I'm not going to accept just, I, I think I probably should go. I think it's okay. I really need to be shown some clarity. And, and I, be, I believe the Lord got, gave that to me. And as I, as I trusted him with that, as I took one step to, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to gracefully, request from this from this pastor to keep unity of the spirit and the bond of peace his permission to move on um i got more and more and more grace i got another you know i got another uh depth of healing and i got you know another i got more insight into what i had allowed to work in my life and as i got that insight and understanding i wanted to get more and more and more and put 
push it farther and farther away from me, which, which in turn has, you know, initially when, when I was going through all of this stuff, um, I can't tell you how many nasty letters that I wrote to this ministry that were, you know, precise and well said and right that I just threw away. Um, because it, you know, it, uh, ultimately I don't, uh, I just think it would have just, you know, opened up more of a can of worms and just drawn this whole process out even further when it didn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. Yeah. Thanks for sharing brother. Um, what I did was I, I, I went on, um, IHOP's website. They have a great, um, article that Mike Bickle wrote at the International House of Prayer, Kansas City, and he talks about seven characteristics of cults. And the reason why I want to bring up some of these is because you can see some of these characteristics operating in many ministries. And basically, you know, what happens to ministries sometimes is they start becoming more and more controlling, and they can go into full-blown cult status. So when you were telling me of some of the stuff that was going on at your church, I was telling you, Bro, they're, get out! Get the heck out of there! They're get right out on there. that cult line, you know. Like some of the stuff that they were saying, I just want to read this, you know, to the audience, and um, we'll talk about we'll talk about some of them together. Okay, so number one, seven characteristics of cults. This is from Mike Bickle. So number one, they oppose critical thinking instead of allowing people to think for themselves. Right, critical critical thinking is objective; it evaluates information received. Right, so the idea is you're you're supposed to test what's being taught. Right? Like, that's what Paul, he commends the Bereans because they test what he's teaching them and they find it for themselves in the scriptures. And he says that's noble, right? That's that's a good thing, right? Um, in the same way, prophecies were commanded to test them, right? As new covenant believers, we are to test prophecies. And but what you're going to find in controlling cultures is that testing is discouraged, Right? Anytime you disagree with a leader, you're immediately assumed or accused of having some type of rebellious spirit. Right, And I say this as a leader, one of the things that I always try and do is I always try and give per permission for people to disagree with me Okay, as a leader. Like it's very important, and to be clear, I'm talking about when it comes to minor doctrine. Okay, that's important for us to distinguish. When we're talking about major doctrine um, in the church, well, we understand there are core tenets of the faith that you can't disagree with and still be a Christian, right? Like, there's major doctrine, and we all agree that that's major, and then there's lots of minor doctrine. All the minor doctrine, you're allowed to disagree with, okay? You're allowed to disagree can with. You, mm -hmm. Can you, um, so one of the things that had, that I remember significantly when, um, I was about a year ago and you were counseling me through some of this stuff is you brought up the point, a really strong point about boundaries, leadership boundaries. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, there were no boundaries yeah. and you're, you're hitting on points like minor doctrine. And what would happen in this particular ministry is from the pulpit, there would be instructions given out about schooling for children, for, you know, the congregation's children. Um, and if you disagreed with that or you went a different route, then you're rebellious, you're demonic, you got you have an issue, you have a problem. Right. And um, can you talk a little bit about I mean, you gave yes. me an example. You gave me an example about like if you're pastoring uh, um, and you, you could do it better than me and I'll, I'll turn it over to you. But if you're pastoring a college student 
that comes to you and says, Hey, you know, I'm loving life. I'm jamming, I'm rocking, I'm rolling, but I got this girl and I think it's time for me to move in with her. There's a conversation that you're going to have, and there's going to be some lines that, you know, you, you mark very clearly for this individual. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the idea of there's spheres of authority, right? So if you're, say you're in a classroom and, um, you know, your teacher has authority that you're obligated to obey, right? So if your teacher says, hey, we have um, math worksheet, you got to turn it in tomorrow, all right? As a Christian, you're under some degree of obligation to obey that. That Look, that's her her sphere of authority as the teacher of this class. Now, if she tells you, hey, you, I want you to date this other guy next to you, right? You'd be like, what the? <laughs> you don't have authority to tell me who to date? You're my math teacher, right? You're not like... And so we all, we all naturally understand that there's areas of authority. Well, that gets really messy when it comes to pastors. Like, where are pastors allowed to tell you what to do and not allowed to tell you what to do, okay? Now, I would say this. Pastors have authority over decisions regarding the ministry, so if they say, hey, I want this person to lead worship and not that person, I can't be like, hey, no, but I'm supposed to do this, right? You got to let me do You can't push back uh, on something where the authority of the church has authority to make decisions for their ministry or for their church, okay? The second thing is pastors or elders at a church have the responsibility to say what is spiritually wise, Okay, to say what's spiritually wise, meaning if they say, if, if um, somebody says, hey, you know, Pastor Dennis, um, should I um, smoke, should I smoke pot or something or smoke weed, right? I have the, the right, I should tell them what I think is wise and not wise, okay? Now, if it's an issue of sin, I think I am obligated to say, yeah, I think that's sinful, all right? And if it's not, but if it's not an issue of sin, if it's just like, hey, should I watch, you know, should I listen to this music or that music, right? And it's not a clear issue of sin. Then I think the pastor's obligation to say, yeah, I think this is wise and that's not wise. But I have to give freedom to people if it's not an issue of sin. Meaning if, if I say, hey, I don't think it's wise to listen to country music, <laughs> right? And they go, but I really like country music. I'm going to listen to it anyway. I don't, I, I, I should not be rebuking them on an issue of wisdom that's not a clear issue of sin, in my opinion, all right? Now, I have authority to say, hey, you're not allowed to be on leadership at the church because I don't think I don't think you're wise enough, right? That's, again, I have authority as a pastor to say who I think is wise enough or whatever to sit on positions of authority in my church, but I don't have permission to kick you out of the church for doing something that I think is unwise that's not openly sinful. Does that make sense? So drawing some of those those lines, I just think it's really important. I personally don't think a pastor has the authority to tell you who to date or who to marry, okay? The pastor can say something like this, hey, I feel like it would be wise for you to marry that person. Or hey, I had a dream, and I feel like the Lord's saying it's wise for you to marry that person. I think that's okay. But at the end of the day, it's your decision, okay? You're not rebellious if you choose not to marry that person, right, because you didn't trust me. Does that make sense? Like, I don't have authority to command you about who to marry, who to date, all that kind of stuff. I can say, hey, this is unwise, and, and I don't feel comfortable having you on our leadership team or something like that because you're doing this. That's fine. 
but in in so far as it's not an issue of sin, I can't kick somebody out of my church for doing something I think is unwise, but not explicitly sinful. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that's and that that that's so that was again like I think that was that was just a segue in my experience for confusion, manipulation, and then ultimately for control over my thoughts and feelings and actions to be multiplied towards the leadership at this church. For sure. So, so ideally, um, ideally, and at, at this particular ministry, there's, there, there is family members that are considered to be on staff, but everybody else that's involved is purely voluntary and, and asking for money or in this particular ministry, if you are paid, then um, that is like a red flag that you're probably, you know, only in the ministry for the money. You're not, your heart's not probably, your heart is probably not right. And these are all conversations that I, that I had with, with, with leadership and heard from the pulpit when trying to, you know, get some clarity and some information on um, why things were the way that they were. Yeah. I mean, I assume the pastors were paid though, right? Like, Yes, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. so it was okay for them to be paid, but it wasn't okay f- to pay anybody else. That was the idea, right? So, so there were a few. So there were a few men that had been there for m- longer than I had been there, and mm-hmm. uh, my heart breaks for them because you know it's it's kind of to me what I witnessed was a lot of like a, a taskmaster. So if the audio didn't sound perfect, um, the pastor wasn't there setting the audio up. He had no involvement whatsoever with the audio system until it came time to sing or preach. There's a whole like, I don't know, five or six guys that were leaving work early every, you know, every opportunity that they had to make sure that the sound system and all the other stuff was was working properly. And instead of instead of being um, is admonished, admonished a positive word. Am I correct? Warned. warned, No. Okay. so, yeah. So I'm, I'm off on that. Um, instead of, instead of, um, you know, some being shown some appreciation for the sacrifice, the dedication and the volunteer work, it was, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, some name calling from the pulpit, like in during church, like these people are there volunteering and working and they're being belittled. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some of the other criteria that that Bickle calls out that you're describing, right? Um, they promote, this is number four, they promote inappropriate loyalty and connection to the leadership instead of to Jesus, right? Yeah. Oh, big time. Right? That's a that's a big one, right? As, as pastors, what we should be impressed by is people's devotion to Jesus, not people's devotion to me, right? Or to us as leaders, because there's a difference there, right? And we get this in some cultures where all the leaders have this incredible loyalty to the pastors or the leaders, and that's how you get promoted in that culture. You show loyalty to the leaders, not necessarily loyalty to Jesus, and that's not healthy, right? It's healthy to have a culture where we're promoting people for their loyalty to Jesus, right? You see loyalty to Jesus, that's where you're, you want um, to you want to promote that person and give them greater influence in the ministry because you're trying to build a culture of loyalty to him, not necessarily 
to the senior pastor, right, or the leaders of a particular ministry? Let me share an experience about that, Dennis. So um, one one thing that happened to me was um, uh, it was a weekday, and I got a text message from from the lead pastor at this church, and and the message that came through was, "Hey, are you playing golf today?" And I thought to myself, "Oh, he's interested in playing golf." And um, I said, "You know, no, but I, I can. I can get everything ready for us if you're if you if you'd like." And his reply was, "No, I I, um, I, I need to be picked up." Um, my, my truck broke down, um, on this freeway and I, I can't, my, I can't get a hold of my family. I, I, I need somebody to pick me up. And I, I said, well, of course I'll be right there. And, um, I drove out to pick him up. He gets in my car and we have this discussion at this point of how, of how now I am in because I picked him up on the side of the road. I am in the club. And I started to, to think to myself, I was like, well, great. You know, I've, I've been waiting to have a deeper connection and, and learn more about um, about you and about how I can serve you more and what I can do to have more influence in this ministry and have more of your respect. And, you know, again, substituting this individual right. for Jesus. And um, it was that that's the kind of stuff that just continued, continued to go around and around and around. It was like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to create to the greatest extent possible a desire for everybody that sits in this ministry to be connected and attached to us in the greatest capacity. And what we want to, what we want that to look like and sound like is all of these individuals just volunteering, volunteering and serving us at our, for whatever we want to do. And if, if that, if that is getting behind the vision, the only way to do that is to get behind our vision, your vision, you know, your vision, you can do that on your own. And if, if, you know, to if as long as it doesn't interfere with what we're doing over here, then it's okay. But the second that it starts interfere, interfering with what we're what we're doing over here in the direction that we're going over here, then you're going to have some issues. There's going to be some some problems, and the problems are going to occur in in this capacity. You either ditch that vision and ditch that you know that desire and that burden that you have, and get on board with ours, or get out. And if you get out, then you're probably demonic and rebellious and all these other labels that they attached attached right. to you yeah so i mean that that is that's the big one the idea that if you leave right if or if you're thinking about leaving they isolate you they reject you this is number three on bickle's list they isolate members and reject them for leaving instead of helping them to do god's will like that's uh, it, it's very similar to the idea of promoting inappropriate loyalty to the leadership, right? The idea is they're not trying to help you follow Jesus. They're trying to help you follow them, right? Correct. And Absolutely correct. And look, I'll just say this, Adam, you you were in a community that had a pretty extreme version of this culture. It's very unhealthy, but I see this kind of thing happening all the time in church cultures where it's like, hey, if somebody wants to leave the church because they feel like God's calling them, right? To go somewhere, there's not really an interest in helping them discern and pursue God's will for their lives. It's more an immediate sense of, oh, but if they want to leave, that's probably not God's will. There's that kind of sentiment or feeling. And I just feel like that's so unhealthy, right? Like, look, our job as leaders in churches, our job is to be stewards of God's people, meaning they don't belong to us, okay? I don't own the people at my church. They're not mine, they're Jesus's people, right? 
I am a, a temporary guide that is given to them in a season. And by the way, I'm not the ultimate guide, right? The ultimate guide they're given is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who leads us in our life. I am a temporary guide that's given to them for a, 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 a portion of their life to help them follow him. And so honestly, I think one of the one of the things that really destroys ministries is when they stop sending people joyfully when the Lord calls them to leave. And that's a very important thing because God, I think he does call people to ministries to get certain grace, to get trained in certain ways, to get character developed in certain ways, and then he can call them elsewhere. He can call them to another church. He can call them to another country. He can call them to lots of different areas. And as church leaders, we have to do our best to help them discern what's the Lord's will. But we have to be aware that there is this temptation to try and keep everybody. And that, it's 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 very unhealthy. And I've seen this happen many times, like when local churches work with like parachurch ministries. Okay? Like, we should encourage people to work with parachurch ministries insofar as it's healthy, right? We shouldn't be suspicious of parachurch ministries for sure, right? We have to co-labor, we have to cooperate with other churches, with other ministries, because we're all on the same team, right? We're one team in Christ. We're one body. So this idea that we are, you know, we don't, we get suspicious or we discourage people from working with other ministries and churches, I think is is really damaging. And to be clear, there can be dangers in that, all right? If you as a pastor discern, hey, I know this parachurch ministry, I know they're really unhealthy in some areas, so I would just discourage you and maybe consider working with somebody else, that's fine, okay? And there are times where it's appropriate to warn people, but at the same time, we have to give people freedom, all right? If you don't have the authority as a pastor— to command your person to stay at your church, okay? It Look, you can recommend it. You can say, hey, I think it's wiser for you in this case to stay. But what you, what you can't do is use your personal affection for them as a tool of manipulation. All right, this is what happens all the time. It's like, you no, know, if you leave, then what's I'm going to cut off my affection from you. I'm not going to, you're not a friend of mine anymore, whatever. Any of that kind of garbage, right? No, look, what we have to do is we say, and I've had this happen. I've had a situation where somebody came to me and said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to leave. And, you know, I, I honestly prayed about it and I counseled them. I said, hey, look, honestly, I don't think you're supposed to go. I think you're supposed to stay here. But I want you to know no matter what you decide, I'm, I, I love you. I'm devoted to you. And I want to help you no matter what. Okay, so if you decide to go, that's fine. You can always call me. You can always talk to me. I'm because we're 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 friends in the Lord, right? And I want to be a mentor in your life forever. I want to be a blessing to you forever, right? And I think that's a healthy kind of way to handle that type of situation. And again, what that isn't is don't you even think about going if you know if you go, you're outside of the will of the Lord or any of that kind of garbage. And especially if you go like you're not saved. That to me, that's the line. If a pastor starts to teach, if you leave our church you're not saved, congratulations, you're a cult, okay? You're no longer a church. You are a cult in my view. Well, I, I think like that's a really good segue because um, one of the things that happened in um, in this church was there There were some pretty notable miracles that were done in this church. There was a baby that was, that was born, I'm 100% they, sure they were born blind, they may have been born deaf as well, 
Um, I'm 100% certain that this baby sees perfectly now. There was a documented report. This baby was prayed over completely blind before being prayed over. I'm sure you've heard many accounts of this, um, things like this. Um, so there were things like that going on that, you know, would, would um, confirm like, yes, the, there, there is a, the Holy Spirit is working here. You know, there's some there, and this is over a period of 18 years. Correct. Okay. Yep. So um, uh, where I'm going with this is I would have conversations with um, some of my friends at the time that were attending there and in these conversations, some of them hadn't been attending there for as long as I had. And I would, I wouldn't, you know, there, there was really no, not a lot of structure in these, in these meetings. And, you know, maybe you or other pastors for a month will say, okay, look, we're going to study this for the month. This is where we're going to be. We're going to be in this book. This is what you can look forward to. You had no idea what the heck we we're going to talk about. There was no plan. There was no structure. There was no, none of that. It was just, you saw it it's just like a free for all. Um, but <clears throat> And having some of these conversations, I would, you know, encourage people that were really taking seriously things that were said that had nothing to do with the gospel or ministry, but just had to do with opinions. And I would explain, look, you know, lead pastor here is, he, he, he's not like some superhero. He's, you know, he's just like you and me. He's got struggles and things that he's, you know, blind spots and things that he's working through and hurts and all sorts of, he's a human being. And um, that would get around. Right. I would say that to somebody to encourage them and that would get around. And then what would be said was, how dare you? How dare you can you 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 describe our lead pastor as a mere man, as somebody that is not extremely special and somebody that is not, you know, uh, on a completely different level than the rest of us are with with God. Yeah. And um, when you see when you're seeing these miracles and you're seeing things and you're in the middle of it, it's it's hard. It's hard to for sure it, to hear that and say, you know, you guys are just running a cult over here. For sure, It's hard, yeah. it's, you know, because you know, you're connected and you're close with these people yeah. and you've given them you've given them a tremendous amount of trust. And, and so you're trying to break through all that. But it's it's not as easy as, you know, Absolutely. when you're removed from it. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So let's talk about that because that's a great question, okay? Because a lot of people say, hey, look at the evidence of these miracles, right? Or look at this good ministry we're doing, and doesn't that mean that we're right in all the stuff that we're teaching, okay? We're justified, yeah. We're justified, exactly. And um, look, the answer is 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 no, okay? The answer is no. And this is, an, this is a lesson that I had to learn— the hard way in some ways, but I always try and teach it because it's really important. Every Christian leader has strengths and weaknesses. It's very simple, but it's very important. Every Christian leader has strengths and weaknesses. And what that means is that they're going to have real gifts, real areas of wisdom, real strengths, right? Nobody is, is pure evil, right? Nobody's pure evil. They're going to have good things about them, and they're going to have bad things about them too, all right? This is the reason why, you know, uh, 60% of marriages end in divorce, okay? Everyone looks perfect and looks great until you get up close and personal with them, all right? And then you start to see their flaws, okay? And everyone's got flaws, okay? Everyone has blind spots. Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has, every pastor has bad theology. Look, I say this as a pastor. 
you know, we all disagree. You stick 10 pastors in a room and have them talk about their minor doctrine, you're going to get like a thousand different opinions, right? Because we all disagree on areas of minor doctrine. And what does that mean? That means we can't all be right. <laughs> it means we're all more wrong than we are right on some of these areas of minor doctrine. And that doesn't mean we're necessarily all bad pastors. It just means that a lot of stuff that we teach is probably going to be proven wrong. Okay. And the humility, we got to have some humility on that as leaders. And so I simply say that to say, look, you can be really right about one thing and really wrong about another thing as a leader. I always point to George Whitfield. George Whitfield was one of the great heroes of American Christianity. This guy was the rock star of the first great awakening. Okay. Him, Jonathan Edwards were like the, the, the rock stars, okay, in the first grade. This guy led so many people from the Lord to the Lord. He was also a passionate advocate of slavery, okay? Like, he had such a, a terrible influence on our nation when it comes to slavery. And how do you mix those two things? He's so wrong in this area, but he's so right in his ability to preach the gospel and get people saved and all this kind of stuff. And that's because those two things can exist in the same person. Okay, you can have 100%. You can have huge strengths and huge weaknesses at the same time. And that's why we're commanded to test right teachings, we're commanded to test prophecies. That's why we're commanded not to idolize people, right? All people have flaws and problems, and that's um and and that's part of this, okay? That's why we should not have an incredible loyalty to any person because all people are flawed, and they're going to get stuff wrong at times. And there are times where you have to say no to those people, even though they have great strengths, okay? Even though phenomenal leader in many areas, but they can still become abusive. They can still do things that are really wrong. And at that at that point, it it is our responsibility as believers to oppose them sometimes, say no to them sometimes, refuse to follow them down the path that they're trying to lead everybody at times. And again, I'm not saying that we should be a suspicious, rebellious people and never trust any leader at all. No, of course not. We just trust in part, right? We don't trust any leader like we trust Jesus, all right? Jesus is the perfect leader, but this is why he says don't call anybody teacher or rabbi. You have one teacher. And the idea that scripture presents is this idea that we are all brothers and sisters. We're all flawed. We're all trying to help each other help. And we're all looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that we're loyal to, that we're following. And we're all doing our best at that. And we're all doing it imperfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some, something that, um, uh, came to my mind while you're talking was um when when i went to you know explore and examine some of these blind spots that i could clearly see and that that i felt like really needed to be brought to leadership's attention um and from my position i was thinking maybe these things that i'm seeing have already been brought to their attention and there's an answer for them. And I just haven't been given the answer yet. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to, I wanted clarity on was you had mentioned, you know, spiritual being a spiritual father. And if you don't have a spiritual father, then, you know, this, you got some problems. One of the things that was talked about in a really similar light was having a pastor. 
if you don't have a pastor in your life, then you got a problem. If you don't have a pastor in your life and there's this consequence and that consequence, and you can expect to get ruined here and there and all these other things. And so you should look to me to be your pastor. And then when I, when I took that a step further and I started to ask, well, you know, um, who is your pastor? Do you have a pastor in your, you're telling, you know, the hundred people that are attending this ministry or so to have a pastor, who is your pastor? What I was met with was, um, I was met with some warnings. Don't ask that question. Don't go down that road. You don't want, you don't want what's coming if you go down that road. So essentially I was threatened for asking that question. Yeah. And, um, what is really sad about that is, is that if I had experienced or seen some vulnerability from the leadership, from pastoral leadership, um, I feel like the rest of the congregation would have been that much more committed to, to them and helping them. Sure. And that would have brought a deeper sense of community and trust. But because the position that they take is we're completely perfect. There's not, there's there. We don't need any of your help. We don't need any of your concern. We just want you to pray for us and then for, to do what we tell you to do, not ask any questions and just, you know, to, to just do it. Yeah. Um, I felt like if that vulnerability would have been present, um, it would have been a much healthier experience, but because the leadership is just constantly, you know, trying to hold up this wall of, okay, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to manage this thing the best that we can on, on the, on the ministry front. And then also on the personal, on the personal front. So on the ministry front, we're all smiles and we're really happy and accepting and polite to the best, best of our ability. But if you try to get to know us outside of church, or you try to have some sort of a, um, a friendship or a connection on a deeper level beyond just, Hey, you serve us and you show up and you put your butt in the chair and you do what we tell you to do. And you get, get up and you get prayed for and you know, you have a lot of good things to say about us and you don't ask a lot of questions. Um, it, it just, it's just really a shame that that's, that's how things are run. And that is the mentality of, you know, okay, if, if I, if I show any kind of vulnerability, then I'm exposing myself to getting hurt or wounded or betrayed or something like that. And that's just really a shame. It's just really a sad way to go about life. Oh yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, Look, uh, churches, I always say churches are supposed to be uh, spiritual families and armies at the same time, right? It's one of the really interesting dynamics of the church. But an aspect about our spiritual families, they're supposed to be f safe, you know? <laughs> like, like I, I once had somebody, you know, uh, come talk to me, and and she was sharing um, a lot of just the, the wounds, and, and I was just affirming her, you know? I was just <laughs> affirming her heart, like, hey, no, like, God loves you, you know, you're precious to him. And 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 she was, you know, she was crying cuz you know, she it, it needs to hear that more than she hears it in her community. And I was telling her, "Hey, you need you need like a small group at your church. You need like a, a community that will come around you and affirm you like this regularly, right? And 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 that you can share your heart with and be vulnerable with and then and you'll be confident you'll know at least these people are for me. They they know me and they love me." And and she was just like I can't do that. <laughs> she was like, I can't share like what I struggle with. And I was like, wait, why? And she's like, 
if I share that, everyone will talk about it. And I was like, I, I remember being so like heartbroken for her. Like, like that's, the, that's how it is at her church, right? If that's you, how it was at my church. It was, it was like, if you, if you have a burden or you're struggling with something, um, and there, there was, there was, um, you know, like one, I'll give you another example of, of, of something that I experienced. So, um, it was a weekday and, um, I had brought myself and my two kids to, to church. My wife is a neonatal intensive care, um, unit nurse. She takes care of these little babies and she was working that night. So it's just me and my two kids and, um, worship ends. We're sitting together and the pastor during the, the service points at me. I'm sitting in the back of the, the church points at me and tells the, tells everybody, you know, God wants to deliver you from all of the demonic things that you're experiencing right now. And I, I look behind me cause I don't know, he didn't use my name and I'm, I'm like, are you, there's a couple of people in the general vicinity. And so we're all like looking at each other. Like, is it me? Is it you? What's going on here? Yeah. And ultimately, you know, the, without too many things happening, the, the entire ministry or the entire congregation turned around and he was, he was referring to me and I'm thinking, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm like, what are you talking about exactly? You know, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't have like, you, you're telling me that I'm, you know, being influenced by demons and I'm just sitting here with my kids. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to be a, to just participate and, you know, just have my kids experience church and experience church. And I'm just here to hear God. And, and you're singling me out in front of a big group of people with this issue. Um, you know, what, what's going on here? And I, I never, I never, I, I reached out to him and I, I got, I got, um, I, <laughs> I got a, uh, a, the response that I got was, first of all, the question that I asked was, you know, where are you going with that? And can you help me understand why that was done? And the response that I got, I had, I had saved all these emails. I, I pull it up, but the response that I got was like a one liner. It was, I don't know, ask God about that experience, about that situation. And I just, yeah. I, I just felt like, man, I'm yeah. just, I'm so disappointed in that response. You know, I don't know. Ask, ask God. For sure. It's abusive, yeah. man. It's abusive. Okay. Well, that's what the whole, that's what the whole yeah. podcast is about. I mean, I'm, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of, you know, bouncing around and I'm hitting different things, but I, yeah. I feel like I'm sharing, I'm doing a good job of sharing the experience of what it's like to be yeah. under, uh, in, in, in a ministry that is very abusive and dysfunctional and, um, you know, thinking that they are, they're right. They're righteous and doing everything correctly. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it, it, it does pain me because I, I know there's so many other people in in various ministries that are going through similar types of abuse. I've just seen it a, a lot of times, you know, and your the you know, the culture of your church was about as bad as I've seen it, you know, um, but I've seen, you know, this type of thing so many times in different um, ministries and different churches. And um yeah, it, and the the end result is what happens is people, you know, Adam, I just want to commend you. Like, look, most people have gone through what you have gone through. What happens is they get super bitter and they walk away from God and they walk away from the church and they're like, they're all fake hypocrites. And 
Um, and that's not what happened with you, man. That's not what happened with you. Um, well, that's what that I think. I think that that kind of um, is just a testimony of how good God is. Um, I, 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 to me, to me, I'm like, I'm a problem solver. I hate making problems. I like, I really enjoy working backwards, working forwards, trying to figure out, okay, there's an issue here. Let's, let's solve it. And to me, the solution here, if I'm going to take responsibility and be accountable on, on my end, where the disconnect was, was I was, I did this multiple times throughout my, my journey in this ministry, but I continued to look to these, to leadership and the pastor as gods, as, Hey, you know, I want you to affirm me in this area of my life and that area of my life, instead of, you know what, these people are here to influence me using the word of God and prayer and right character, right character and actions into being a servant for the Lord and to, and to, being everything that he's called me to be and to becoming the, the, the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. I think it's Ephesians two or something like that. Um, but they are not there to direct your life. That needs to be left to the relationship that I have with the Lord. And um, I think if you're an individual and you're experiencing some or, you know, all of these, in my case, I think it's probably all of these seven things that we haven't even got to. Um, it's okay to get the heck out of there. And it's okay. It's okay to, to look at yourself and, um, you know, to, to forgive yourself and to cut yourself some slack. I think that's the biggest thing that I've struggled with is looking at 18 years of my life and thinking, I really screwed this up. And I wasted so much time and energy and attention in a in a dysfunctional environment. Um, I think it's it's really important to to forgive yourself and and yeah. to give your give yourself permission to to move on. And what I to, to continue to share some of my experience, I attempted to leave as gracefully as I could. Like I said, I asked the pastor for permission. I said, "Look, this is where I'm at." Um, you know, when I'm thinking back to when I was, you know, uh, really on fire and really feeling at peace and, and really feeling the, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength at, at, at one junction in my life, I wasn't just attending your church. I was attending this church because they had a service, um, outside of the hours of operation that you did. And I was attending this one because they had a service outside of these hours. And I was attending this one. I was going seven days a week. I brought that to his to his attention, and that was that was what I used to you know try and try and get some peace between me and him, and get some understanding between me and him, so that I could leave as gracefully as I as I could. And what 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 happened after that was he agreed. He's like, yeah, you could you know you could do that, and, I, and I'll give you my permission to do that. And then when it became, you know, I had that that experience with the Lord showing me, um, John 15, him is the, him is the vine and me is the branch. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fruit of this ministry coming out of my life and then getting pruned. I, I had reached out to him a, a second time and let him know, look, you know, this is, I'm fully transitioning. There was a, there was an attempt to grab me back and it was, you know, the same old ploy of, okay, if you do that, you're going to have this problem and this problem and this issue and that issue. And I have, 
been the, the, you know, the greatest pastor in helping you try to solve this issue and that issue, but you just refuse. So I'm just going to leave you alone with your problems and leave you alone with, 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 uh, your demonic influence. And it's okay to get those messages and, and not reply. It's okay to see that or to hear that or to feel that. And then to know based on what, you know, what we have discussed in those seven things, this is not the environment that you need to be in. This is not the environment, despite what you're being told by all of these different influences and, and, and all the different pieces of leadership, it's okay to go. If you have these things, if they're lining up and you're, you know, this is a check in your spirit, a check in your heart, you can see these things being done and executed in the ministry that you're in and under, it's okay. It's right. okay to leave. And that's what I really needed to hear. And I got that, thank God from you. And I got that, thank God, from a couple of other people that had been in that ministry, saw the same thing, attempted to shed light on it and and and, and bring a solution, but then were demonized and, you know, ridiculed right. and had left for the same reasons. I got the same encouragement from them too. And that that really helped me. I heard I have the ministry that I feel like I'm supposed to be under telling me I'm going to I'm demonic and rebellious and I'm going to die to go die and go to hell because I'm leaving. And then I have voices like yours and others that are telling me definitely not mm-hmm. and and not not just not just influencing me with their heart and their voice but leading me through scripture that shows hey it's it's okay it's yeah. it's going to be all right you can you can move on even though you don't feel like it it might be right based on what i'm seeing and based on what you're describing that's probably the best decision and if you explore that a little bit more i bet that is what the Lord is leading you to do as well. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, the 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 nature of these types of controlling, you know, cultish tactics is that it's very difficult to leave. It's very difficult um, because there's so much teaching that all this terrible stuff is going to happen to you if you leave. There's a lot of community pressure to not leave. So it really does. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to, you know, uh, to face all that and to go. And so, you know, Adam, I definitely want to commend you. I know that's not, I know that's not easy, man. I know that's not easy. Um, But the truth is, yes, there are lots of healthy churches. There are lots of healthy churches. And this is one, you know, we didn't get into, um, but look, one of the other things is this idea that, um, of dishonoring the rest of the church. One of the cult tactics is that they say, hey, we're the only ones that are either on the cutting edge or we're the ones that are really holy and all the other Christians are garbage Christians, right? And then when that, you know, and that spirit gets worse and worse and worse, that dishonor for the rest of the body to the point where it gets to, oh yeah, now we're the only ones who are saved. And that's why I say when it's that, when it's there, that's like, get the heck out of there. It's a, it's become a full-blown cult at that point. But, that weakness can manifest in many different ways, and it does manifest in a lot of churches with a type of elitism, right? It's like, oh yeah, we're like the great church, and all those other churches are pretty terrible, actually. And look, the truth is there are lots of terrible churches, but if you don't know any other churches that are great, that's a problem. That's a problem. There are lots of great churches out there, and the truth is that even in these terrible churches, <laughs> there are lots of great believers in those terrible churches even, meaning— Oh my gosh, man. There, Some of the people that are in that, that still there, are the most precious people that that you can imagine. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, you know, like one of, one of the things, um, one of the things that really caught my attention and, um, reminded, remind me, reminds me of, uh, of a lot of the dysfunction is, you know, it's one thing if you, you and I in a, a situation like this are having a conversation and you're explaining to me about how good God has been to you and how you feel like you're very special to God and your love to God. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm a new believer or maybe I'm really struggling or maybe I'm just completely lost. And your, your point that you're making is if you only knew Adam, if you only knew how much God loves you and is for you. And, you know, if I could, if I could only articulate and I'll do the best that I can of how much, how much, how important and special he makes me feel. And he wants that for you as well. You, you would, you would jump in on this instantly. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's a place for that. But what I noticed happening quite a bit was in a, in a corporate setting, a lot of what would be said would, would be how I, the lead pastor, how I am God's most favorite. I am the most special that God has. I am the, I am the greatest. I am the best. I am, I am. And this is like in a corporate setting, two people, and what what how, what that worked in me was, well, yeah, you you must be very special. I mean, there's there's some miracles going on here. I you know if I don't do everything that you say, it's just like it's just like disobeying Jesus. If I don't do everything that the mouthpiece self described the mouthpiece of God tells me to do, I'm in a lot of trouble. And that just produced a whole bunch of worry. There's a constant. There's a constant. There is a there is an the environment that's created in those in those types of situations is um, it's it's a it's an environment of comparisons you know oh I I can let me let me run you down my resume my my resume of faith and then let me compare it to yours and let me show you why I'm so much more superior when it comes to the things of God than you are there's not an invitation there there's a there's a there's a boot on the neck you know there's no there's nothing there is drawing anybody using that kind of terminology and those tactics into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Those people are left on the sideline constantly trying to, you know, what is, what does he, he say that the, the, the true pastor uses the right door and the thief comes over the fence. You know, you got a fence that you're trying to like, Hey, let me get in here. Let me find out what's going on. You're not doing it correctly. You're trying to come through man's way and a pastor's opinion instead of, coming to a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord because that individual has a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord and wants nothing more than everybody that they encounter to have a, have experienced the same thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. And there's a clear distinction, dude. There's like, there is a clear distinction in I am God's most loved and cherished. You know, we could all say that. We could all say that God loves me the most. God, Jesus died on the cross for me, right? We could all say that. But when you twist that around and you make it seem like, you know, you're on a pedestal and everybody else is beneath you and they have a, a, a like a, a criteria and a protocol that they have to meet, that's not grace and that's not the love of God. Right. That's not what that's not what Jesus died for. Right. And all that does is, you know, it just it keeps people at bay from from his love for sure absolutely man so as we um finish up here let's talk a little bit about the process of healing because i i mentioned i had to go through a year away I, 
I'd administer, I take a sabbatical. By the way, I highly recommend sabbaticals for those who are in ministry. Sabbaticals are so healthy, right? To just get away from ministry for a bit. And it's hard because especially for those of us who are in the ministry, it's like you, it's like I'm a pastor, that's how I make money, all this kind of stuff. So it's it can be very difficult to imagine how I can get a year off or something like that. But I would just simply say, um, you know, uh, in my experience, it, the way it's worked out for me is every seven every seventh year of ministry for me has been a sabbatical year, which miraculously it's it's worked like that. But I just say that um, I believe it's God's desire that ministers take a break, and um, and because you can develop this identity thing where like you're a pastor, but look, you're just a brother, okay, or you're just a sister, right? Like. Like, we're just people, we're just, you know, and God uses us in ministry, but it's really healthy to be just a normal dude, right? A normal churchgoer for a while and get that perspective, you know, of not being a leader. Um, that's actually a really healthy position to be in sometimes. So I simply say, I took that, you know, that first year sabbatical, and I told you what the Lord told me is, Dennis, forgive everyone and give thanks for everything, and that's what I did that year. I just give thanks for everything, even the small, the things that seem so small. I just give thanks for them. Like, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. I got my mind off of all the things that, the ways that I had felt wronged, the things I felt people had done wrong to me. I forgave as much as I could. And like I said, some, like, I can, I didn't know how to get all the unforgiveness out of my heart. So what I did was I just declared it. Every time I said, I refuse to hold on to bitterness. I'm just going to forgive them. You know, the temptation, especially when you're deeply hurt by people, you you there's a temptation to entertain these thoughts where you're like having conversations with them. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you went through that, Adam. But like, oh, would... let's yeah, no, I can I can relate. So so one of one of the major components to helping me overcome all of the you know toxicity that I was exposed to um, is going to. I think I shared this with you. And it's going to sound a little ridiculous, but. Um, my, you know, we, there is something to be said about having, you know, a father, like a, a you know, a dad mm -hmm. and my dad is phenomenal, but he's just, he's just not into the gospel. He's just not into discuss. He doesn't want to go to church with me. You know, he's made it very well, very well clear, you know, Hey, like I prayed that prayer with you and that's as far as it's going to go. Like, I, that's it. Um, <sighs> I don't want to, can we maybe transition Dennis? Yeah, no problem. Man. I don't, I, I don't, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. So yeah, when we're talking about, you know, getting healing from this, I just went through a season where I just forgave everyone. And the truth is, um, I had to, I had to make a conversation. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to replay these conversations in my mind with these people that I have hurt. And, you know, if, cause you have, you have these conversations in your mind where it's like, if I can just convince them, right. And if they get this argument, then maybe they'll understand it'll heal the whole thing. Right, all this kind of stuff, but the truth is, in a lot of those situations, you're not going to be able to convince them. A lot of times, you're not going to be able to get their approval or their affection or anything like that. And so, you know, the best thing to do is really just to give it to the Lord and be like, Lord, I just surrender all this to you. I just choose to forgive them. I don't understand everything that happened. And this is this is actually a really important thing when when it comes to healing. When we're hurt, the natural inclination is that our hearts are going to search for who's to blame. Why did this hurt happen to me? Who did what wrong so that I went through this type of pain? This is a very natural thing. Our hearts search for someone to blame. And when we can't find exactly who deserves blame, 
And then that what happens is um, we get really confused. We get really confused. Oftentimes we end up blaming ourselves for lots of things. So um, what I've found in, in going through several healing seasons like this is, look, you can't force it. What you can force is you can make a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive with my will. I can't get all the unforgiveness out of my heart immediately. But with my decision making, with my will, I can make a solid decision that I'm going to forgive, that I'm not going to hold on to bitterness, and I can fight in that place for full heart forgiveness. And then in time, understanding will come. So I shared, I had some people that I was bitter with for like a year. I, I forgave them every day. At the end of like a year, year and a half, I had probably like 80% of the unforgiveness was out of my heart. Like I barely thought mm. about them. But sometimes like if I heard somebody speak well of them, it would like trigger something, like a, a little feeling in my heart, like a little twinge of like, ugh, you know? And that's how you could tell, okay, well, there's still some. It took probably another year or two to get all the rest of that unforgiveness out, okay? And honestly, that's pretty fast. People who have been through serious trauma, it might take longer than that, Okay. And um, one of the one of the lies is that if you still have some degree of you know uh, like if you're not 100 percent delivered from something then you ha then nothing has happened and that's not true. Partial freedom is real freedom. That's what I tell people. Okay, you get partial freedom in an area that's real freedom, and if you continue in it, you will get full freedom. Okay, if you don't give up, continue on the process of healing and forgiveness and all that, you will eventually get full freedom. But it, it might take some time. Okay, we all wish that we could have that one service where like God touches us, we cry like crazy, and then it's like completely different. And right. that does happen sometimes. But I always tell people, look, 80 to 90% of our of our growth and our healing comes in process, not through like, moments of miraculous breakthrough like that. Okay, well, what I was going to say, um, and forgive me for losing my my train of thought there. Um, but what, what I was going to where I was going with this is part of the healing process for me was um, I was touching on the fact that, you know, my, my dad is wonderful, but he doesn't, you know, I, I don't have any very deep conversations with him when it comes to, um, faith and, and the Lord. So in the midst of all this stuff, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for some of these answers to get some clarification and to help me understand why things are so toxic and dysfunctional in this ministry and trying to problem solve and do exactly what you said. If they could just see my side of this argument, then obviously everything would be would be, you know, daisies and roses and everything would be great. Um, but that never happened. And I needed, I really, really needed to, you know, to get some, to get some closure. So what I did is I, I did some role playing. So I would have a conversation with myself as myself. And then I would have the other part of the conversation as the primary pastor, mm -hmm. like talking, talking, from his place to me and telling me what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it about, about whatever issue I was dealing with. And, um, it didn't, it didn't take too long before, um, I was, you know, empathizing and putting myself in his shoes. And I, I, I know, I know him and his past. I know there's a lot of traumatic things that have happened to him. And I, you know, started to consider, what it would be like to experience the things that he's experienced and how that might shape and form my mind and my actions and my perceptions and judgments and all that stuff. And, um, mercy, mercy and grace. And so uh, what my experiences are very different than yours. 
I, to this day on a daily basis, I say out of my mouth, out loud throughout the day, I thank the Lord for the ministry that I was in that was, you know, very toxic and dysfunctional, but that also brought forth some really good fruit in my life. And I, I ask him to help me forgive everybody that hurt me there. And I ask him to bless everybody there. And there are times now, this is, I think it's, I'm coming up on two years being removed from this ministry where a song will come on and, um, you know, will remind me of my time there and my feelings towards the, the pastoral leadership there are endearing. I'm like, you know, if I saw you on the street, I would, I would probably approach you and try to give you a hug and check in with you. And there wouldn't be any hard feeling. Maybe there would be. I mean, I don't know. This is all hypothetical stuff, but I I kind of feel like right now I've been removed from it far enough and I've been in prayer over it enough and the Lord knows my heart. And my heart has always been, you know, I want to choose what you've chosen for me, God. What, what, what my purposes and plans, yeah, they might sound pretty good and seem all right, but yours are exponentially better. And I always want yours over mine anytime. And your word very clearly tells us if we don't forgive those that have hurt and wronged us, we're not going to receive any forgiveness. And um, that's how I operate. And that has that has produced some amazing healing and deliverance in my life over this this experience. Yeah, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> You're doing great, Adam. You're doing great. Okay. I'm super proud of you. Um, I know the Lord's really proud of you. Look, God allows his children to go through major hardship. And one of the convictions I have is that um, we all go through hardship, and none of us go through it perfectly. That's the nature of hardship, right? The reason it's hard is because you don't know how to go through it perfectly. <laughs> you know, like we all go through hardship imperfectly, and um, and I think you know, look, when I look at scripture, the great <laughs> tests that the Lord gives us, one of the big ones is the tests of forgiveness. All right, every great man or woman of God that I highly respect, they will tell you the most crazy stories of betrayal and, you know, abuse that they have gone through. And in overcoming it, that is one of the main ways that we gain spiritual authority in the kingdom. One of the main ways is that we overcome great tests of forgiveness. So I just want to encourage you, man. It's not wasted. Okay. Your 18 years, not wasted. All right. Not I agree. Wasted. I agree. And that's, I think that's, that's a, if you, if you start to, if you go down that rabbit hole, it's a, it's just a quick way to shame and destruction. It's a quick way to self, to, to just self implode. And, um, you know, I don't know how many people out there that are type A like me, but for, for people like us, I mean, that's the, the default when you're in that moment of confusion, the default is you are the one to blame. If you're, if you're, you know, a high functioning, very responsible, accountable individual that, that is successful, that's, that's kind of how we operate is we, the first thing that we do is, okay, where, where can I take responsibility for what I've done and what I've said, how can I make that better? And if you're, if you go down that rabbit hole, it's, it's a dark place and, and there's no need to go down it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really important. Forgiving yourself, having grace on yourself and, um, yeah, I, I just want to, you know, lastly say anybody that's out there, if you're going through a situation like this, if this conversation um, is, 
you know, highlighting some things in your experience in your heart, I would simply say, you know, go ahead and do a Google search for um, Mike Bickle's list here, the seven characteristics of a cult. I think it's a pretty good starting point um, to start to investigate it, and then get some people outside of your of your culture, of your community that you respect, that you can just ask honestly to give an assessment. Because sometimes it's hard for all of us. If we're in this type of culture, it's very difficult to self-assess. We need people outside that can help us see more objectively. Because look, sometimes it's like, oh no, like your pastor sounds pretty healthy, but he just has this weakness, right? He's just, it, it, but it's a pretty healthy community, but there's just weakness. And in some cases, like, no, that's really unhealthy. It's probably best to get out of there. Um, it's very difficult for us to discern that individually. That's why we oftentimes we need help from people outside to help us discern. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're in a place where you know, like, hey, there's some really unhealthy things I feel spiritually abused and things like that, I would encourage you um, to try and get some counsel on the outside from a more objective party. And then, um, and then, yeah, like we said, if it's as bad as, you know, if it, there's real spiritual abuse, you know, it, it really might be wisdom to leave, okay? And that that can, you know, get healthy, get healthy. Um, so I, I got, I have two questions for you, Dennis. Um, one, can I, can I give a plug for some, for a, a yeah. video, um, a teaching that really helped me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that okay. So mm -hmm. there's, um, there's, you may have heard of him. There's, um, I don't know what he is. I don't, I don't know what the, um, term is or his title would be, but the gentleman's name is Mike Connell and he has, um, a video series, I believe called, uh, the spirit of Jezebel or. It's something like that. I'm sure we can figure out a way to put a link to it, mm -hmm. but that really, really helped me a lot. And then the the last thing that I, I, I really want to emphasize here is these things came to my attention over a period of 18 years. I did not go to this ministry on a witch hunt. I did not go looking for problems. I did not go trying to solve problems that I found in this ministry. I was, I was there under this ministry, because I believe with all of my heart, this is where the Lord wants me. And this is, this is his timing and his purpose and plan. And, and I'll understand more as I stay here. And as I learn, and as I grow from here, and as I stayed, all of these things started to come to light. Mm -hmm. So I really want to impress on people. Um, you're, you're asking for a lot of problems and hurt and harm. If you're in, if, if you're hearing this and then you're like, Oh, let me go, let me go and look, let me try and find something. That's not the intent of this conversation. Right. The intent of this conversation is if if you're experiencing these things, if this has happened to you, these are some things that we've both experienced that have really helped us and will probably help you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, just to go off that, yeah, look, there are lots of great pastors and great churches where they do have some controlling tendencies, okay? Meaning there's a weakness in this area of control. And the appropriate thing to do a lot of times is to stay in those types of situations, but to exercise your freedom. Sometimes you do have to say no. Sometimes you do have to, you know, um, resist certain controlling influences and brush that off. And that can be difficult, but I just want to encourage people. It's actually really healthy. All right. Like I, I come from, you know, more of a Korean church background. Look, this is a major problem in the Korean church. Okay. And the Korean church is very hierarchical. It's very, you know, if you're older, if you're younger, like you're expected to obey. And look, there's a reason why half the, half the cults in the world are Korean cults. Okay. Like there's, because of this type of, you know, quickness to obedience and this hesitancy to ever question authority and things like that. So I say there's a healthy way to question authority. Okay. It's a healthy thing to test what's being taught. There's a healthy way to do that. And it's appropriate many times. Okay. Anything else you want to say before we sign off here, Adam? No, just uh, 
thank you for having me on and um god bless everybody that's that's watching i, I hope you learned something and this this helps you yeah well thanks thanks for coming on man we appreciate it my pleasure thank you